Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith. How you going, man? Very well. Nice to be here in sunny Sydney. Yeah, it is thunderstorming outside. We've got wonderful, lovely windows next to us and it's thunderstorms. And on the other side, the team are preparing for an event. Yes. So we are surrounded and we're in a new room. Uh, We're on the road. So (laughs) it's going to be noisy, but that's okay. We are talking uh, Macquarie Group results. The questions come through about ETFs. Uh, We've got some stuff. Just uh, it's actually a few property-based questions, but obviously the big topical thing this week, Drew, was um, interest rates. In- but um, buzzer would be saying it probably <laughs> like a, <laughs> but it would probably be like alarm bells because like the prediction was for those of you that are playing along at home, Drew said interest rates would fall this in year, twenty twenty-three. This is the first. This is the first uh, RBA meeting for the year, and they it's increased. Still, so is it based off? Is it a low water mark? Is it based off the? The last oh, one? No, I think we still won't have a problem. No? Bond yields are already falling. I mean, what, what really matters is what did the market think? And what does the market think? Well, the, you looked at the ASX and the headlines the next day said market tanks on rate hike. The market was down 0.4%, barely moved, which tells you mm. everyone was expecting another 25 basis points. We're at 3.35%. Yep, see, I had my candlestick. <laughs> Just joking, I do not use any Love of the candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you weren't surprised. You factored into this into your forecast, of course. Yeah, I mean, we still don't even know. This is the thing: we don't even know what impact interest rates have had yet. We've had one, re- like if you think about what the RBA is doing, you just had retail mm-hmm. sales fall by th- over three percent in December, when everyone predicted them to fall by zero point three percent. So mm-hmm. the, they've said the consumer hasn't been slowing down, but the evidence they got a week before the meeting—that was the thing that people were worried about. People thought that all the data suggested it's. Things are pretty bad, but then they increase, and then they said increases yep. in the outlook to tame in core inflation. They've said that a few times. They also well, they're told very good us at that. <laughs> I don't think they can predict three weeks ahead, let alone six months. I think yeah. probably more important than short-term rate decisions is where's the inflation rate, mm-hmm. and the inflation rate is particularly overseas. It's clearly slowing, and we'll go through borrow. A lot of inflation isn't coming from wages, which has seemed to be. The biggest risk, you know, if wages keep going up and pay rises go up, then it embeds inflation in the economy. Inflation seven point eight percent. Buzzer, buzzer. Yeah. Um, 
So you you're still holding firm. I'm holding firm. You nervous. You don't want to cash in now. <laughs> you don't want to cash in. No now? cash in. Okay. In other news, Zip is down fifteen percent this week, and we have some questions coming through. <laughs> no, I'll get to them in a minute. I'm but still Zip, Zip is actually down fifteen. I'm still huddling. Huddling is that what you call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spelled wrong, but yes. Oh, actually, I I dare say that Dubber is down nine percent today alone on no news. Our down sixteen percent this week. Two favourites. Regulars on the show. I just tuned into the uh, latest Dubber quarterly activities report. Still got fifty six million in cash on hand. I wonder what the market cap is on this thing right now. Hundred million. Can you explain to me what they do? Uh, they do uh, call recording and uh, artificial intelligence buzzwords, but also machine learning, pattern recognition. So like chat GPT. Yeah, there's a few other things they're working on. Yeah, but no, seriously. Uh, so it was a really bad quarter from W. Second quarter results. Um, when I say really bad, like this was this is not just me saying this, but it was on Twitter. Um, so it's the source of truth, as we all know. Eight million <laughs> of cash receipts, uh, but it somehow turned from a cash receipt of eight million into an outflow of seventeen million for the quarter. They are still spending more on staff costs than they do in cash receipts. Um, they spend more on product manufacturing and operating costs than they do in cash receipts. So there's like a lot of tech firms are very focused on getting to cash flow neutral. Yes. How far off? Well, in quarterly the, cash burn. In the six months year to date, so this is to December thirty one, negative twenty seven million at the operating line. And they got fifty four in cash. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, it's I, a super I mean, I competitive industry. Industry like it's super competitive, more competitive than many probably think. And then ChatGPT comes out of nowhere, mate. Which they're embedding into teams. Yeah, yeah. Someone was telling me yesterday. You know how you know how you deal with those. Um, actually, my my business coach was that business coach, life coach, <laughs> was telling me uh, this the other day. She's using it, and you know people email you and they're like, "Oh, um, are you free on X day?" And you get you exchange two or three emails, and you normally use Calendly. She can hit auto reply. It uses ChatGPT, checks your inbox. And then automatically puts in the meeting with the Teams link. It's, it's going to change the world. Well, where's the. <laughs> we need to turn <laughs> some alien noises or some like voodoo, I don't know. Uh, so, change the world. Big so calls on this show. Business partner Jamie is texting me every Saturday night talking, playing on chat GPT. Yeah. How does it change content? How does it change SEO? How do you draft social posts? How do you, in financial advice, how the, what are the different applications? You can see every person in your business using it in some way or another mm. at some point. And this is just a basic form. Is Microsoft the new balance of computing? <laughs> or just consistent, comfortable? <laughs> well, always. Is it like everyone walk around in new balance and jeans? You'd be like, damn. <laughs> You've aged. <laughs> but then they started wearing it at the Australian Open and then all of a sudden new okay, balance cool, is cool yeah. and it's come back and everyone's like, wow, is it comfy? And they look good. So, like, <laughs> you're showing our age there. <laughs> so, is Microsoft like the new Apple? What I mean by that, like from a branding perspective, from everything, you know, is it, it's like the Azure ecosystem? I think it's incredibly powerful. It. Our entire business runs off Microsoft in some way or another. I was on a flight on the way up here. Uh, well, obviously, I didn't, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, but on the way up here, I was watching um, this interview with CEO Satya Nadella, is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Um, from 2017. So that was when he was three years into the job. And that's just after they were like integrating LinkedIn. 
And he was describing like the ecosystem around cloud and all this stuff and then where LinkedIn fits into all that. And this guy's like, like he's made so many good calls over the years since yeah. Steve Ballmer has moved on and focused on Duncan clip basketballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, like it's just really, it's incredible. It's such an incredible business when you look at it. They do own Xbox, but- yeah, but I'm beyond that these days. <laughs> but they bought LinkedIn that everyone thought was stupid. They've they've got yeah. cloud. They're in an ultra competitive cloud space, but they've got integration. Teams wasn't great initially, but now no one uses Zoom anymore, and everyone's back on Teams. Yep. And if you add what Chat GPT to Teams, I've heard you might be able to have notes and to do lists extracted via machine learning after every meeting. So oh, the wow. needs needs for minutes start to disappear as well. Yeah. Um, well, so Dubber does Dubber notes. They just don't have the product. I mean, the Surface laptops, whereas, you know, Apple's so powerful because they have their own uh, in, what is it, the closed ecosystem yeah. as well as high-quality product. Yeah. Whereas Microsoft's never had the product. It's always been hard over the top, hasn't it? Like, um, obviously, it's been hard but good. And what I mean by that is, like, for most companies, building on top of the rails of Microsoft, Apple, um, all these, it's been really interesting because those businesses have really struggled. Like, um Anir Ban Mahantni used to be on the show. He would say, like, your 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 app is my feature, meaning yeah. that like, you know, whatever you've created can just be something that's tacked on to Google or Microsoft or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like how WhatsApp with Facebook, then we like iMessage, everyone uses iMessage these days, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, not everyone, but a lot of people. Um, and so that's kind of the thing, isn't it? Like these things just keep pushing out that moat. And just being like, we'll take that. We'll move into this vertical. We'll take that. And in technology, no one can predict it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's another another vertical that they didn't even think about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, we did not, did we expect to talk about ChatGPT? Anyway, they were chatting about ChatGPT. <laughs> I, I got ChatGPT to put it in the notes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. This is not our voice. Um, so, Sal Dubba is what I'd say. Um, zip. Um, hodl. <laughs> open to open Still hodling. Well, open pay. For like I don't know, I think they, do they go into administration? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was a lay-by group. Lay-by. Oh, all I heard was buy now, pay later. Yeah, yeah. I just well, think firm what, sacked twenty percent of their workforce. I think or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah I think it may have been more. So, so a Peloton store on Martin Place. Really? No one in there. Oh gosh, that's hard. That yeah, I did an interview uh, a couple weeks ago. It's actually the founder of BFT Body Fit Training. Yeah, like huge success. Globally. And another one, I did the interview with another guest, so two in one. Um, and uh, it was uh, John Gregory, and he's the founder of Vitruvian, which is kind of like user science and connected fitness. Yeah. And so they're like a similar thing to Peloton. It's really interesting that that's over on the Australian business podcast if you're interested in that. But um, interesting about Peloton. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of companies that were kind of riding on exuberance throughout COVID, weren't there? Um, sounds a bit great. Like you've got a store on Martin Place for an in-home exercise, and that's well, not cheap I mean, yeah, real estate. The irony there is, yeah. And then a firm were funding like buy now pay later for Peloton bikes from from memory. Yeah, you always look for businesses that build on top of other businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I think buy now pay later is it's a it's in a world of pain, and. Um, some of these companies, I reckon surely some of them will bounce off the bottom. Like some of them will have to su survive, but I wouldn't want to be the one taking that run the gambit, to be honest. Someone just needs to gobble them all up at a discount, but shareholders probably won't agree to it because yeah. they're so far underwater, a lot of them, you'd think. Yeah. But 
like the value of these things is the merchant relationships where they've got businesses signed up on the other side using their product. We know that buy now, pay later helped retail sales in every part of the world. Yeah. yeah. But if they're not making money, they're not going to exist for, for, for that long. And I think most are looking to get cash flow positive or close to at the moment. Mm. Uh, in other news, uh, Macquarie, which does have a business model, um, <laughs> it has multiple actually, did report its third quarter results uh, a few days ago and seems like strong. I was reading the UBS update just before. Strong to very strong. Yeah. Um, UBS said very strong. I think it was Morgan Stanley said strong but mixed. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, good and like bad bits. I the difference know. between a buy and a strong buy. Yeah. yeah. Underweight, overweight, uh, you know, and then you've got buy and sell. So, I don't know what they're Anyway, um, what did you think? Anything that you call out? Uh, we're holders in Macquarie, so our model holds Macquarie pretty broadly. I think it's just once again showing the incredible diversity of that business. Mm. So they're traditional businesses that did well in the previous six months or the previous year. Banking, where I'm, I bank, I think yep. you bank as well at Macquarie. Home no, I loans. don't. I'm ING. ING. Yeah. 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 Something about the Dutch. <laughs> and not the silver donut and then <laughs> and then asset management struggled so they sold so many assets in the green group last year that they the profit fell this year but on the other side their market's facing so that's where they do hedging for institutions or they'll trade currency or energy prices because any listed company needs to hedge out what price they're going to receive uh, that part of their business did incredibly well and it offset the other part and this is I think we talked about this when when you're building portfolios for income sure you want companies themselves that are diversified not cyclical. So I think there was a, a solid result and kind of showing the flex that they have in their business model. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty reasonable PE multiple. Um, just reading a note here, it says slightly below one standard deviation relative to its long-term average. <laughs> no candlestick. No, but actually, you know what? Now we can debate to the cows come home about valuation metrics. But for something like Macquarie, I think the more complicated something gets the simpler I want to use in terms of valuation. Yep. And for a business like Macquarie, it's not the type, I don't think it's the type of business nowadays where it's going to get absolutely pounded like it did during the GFC. So you're probably not going to get the big bargains. So maybe you do use more heuristic based valuation multiples. Like I think a reasonable, like if you say like maybe Macquarie's worth the market average, but maybe you might say then, well, actually, it's probably higher quality than the market average because it's reported a profit for 50 years, yeah. paid a dividend for how many years? So maybe I'm willing to pay a little bit more than the market average. And that's maybe your valuation heuristic. We bought this thing back in 2020 and it was expensive then when it was 80 bucks or 90 bucks because no one knew what the earnings were going to be. There was no look through yeah. in 2020. Huge um, like focus on sustainable infrastructure and all that sort of stuff. It's uh, Yeah. Fascinating business. And you're going to have the ebbs and flows of the commodity-facing business. Uh, the other one, maybe which we'll touch on briefly before we get to some questions, uh, is Borrell. Love Borrell. It would have to be- Kerry Stokes is Borrell. It would have to be in the top 10 most boring companies on the ASX. Like if Literally you just boring. Think of, yeah, <laughs> if you think about what it does, but also like just the general gist of it. I love this. I love boring. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. One of my sales Absolutely pitches. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I don't like to sell, but one of my sales pitches is here's the most boring portfolio of ASX listed stocks that continues to outperform. <laughs> but it's true. Like just pick things that win. Yeah. <laughs> what do they make? Just like isn't like fiber Some, cement and that sort of stuff and like exactly. concrete and all that sort of stuff? They sold all their fun stuff overseas because it wasn't making any money. 
Yeah, right. So a lot of their US and Asian assets, and they just focus back on Australia. They are, I think, eighty percent owned by the Seven Group. Is that how much Stokes? it is? I think days? it's. I think it's about eighty wow. percent. So it was like one hundred and one. Sixty-three percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Network investment holding. Yeah. Right. Okay. So significant ownership. It's basically a Stokes or Seven Group entity mm. uh, that is exposed to the infrastructure and kind of house renovation cycle. And if you think what's happened in previous cycles when interest rates have gone up, property prices have become when interest rates property prices are falling, but because interest rates are going up so quickly, affordability is actually reducing. Yeah. What happens when it's unaffordable to buy a house? You renovate. Yeah. People tend to renovate rather than move. Yeah, right. Uh, so it's happening across Australia. They had revenue was up twelve percent and all the headlines were about inflation. So hmm. passing on the cost, they're increasing cost to customers and pushing it through in a massive way. Hmm. Still yeah, it surprises me. To be honest, I remember when you first talked about this, probably about a year ago now. Um, I was like, borrow? And you're like, yeah, but if you had the dividends back in, the total return looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah and they had a big capital return that yeah. makes their chart yeah. look incredibly bad and everyone wonders why it fell. But they got, I think it was $2.60 in cash out of that. Yeah, right. Now it's just, a, they didn't didn't pay a dividend, but revenue was up 15, profit up, up 12, sorry, profit up 15, and no interim dividend because their cash conversion hasn't been as great. Mm. apparently but i think the scary part was energy costs were up 54 percent. wow and they're trying to pass that on to customers in price increases on cement as much as they can is that possible do you think they they did it now, most of that revenue again? growth would have been would have been price rather than volume driven you'd think good news for anyone building a house <laughs> <laughs> and this is on the back end when prices you know, most yeah, of these yeah. inputs are falling yeah that's it interesting so you hold borrow Oh, Borrow and Macquarie both in the model yep. and boring kind of consistent. Borrow's been up and down with weather and, and kind of mm. lockdown issues in the last few years, but I think boring's good in my view. How I agree. How would you determine when it's time to sell Borrow? How? Would it be like a top-down top, top down decision? Like a, as in like, oh, it's a macro it's, decision? I think it's still a cyclical stock. So if you think about how the money, how the, how the spend is, at the moment, they've got a massive work, uh, whip or, you know, work in progress or massive order book yep. for infrastructure and other, and other um, projects. So I think as soon as you see that start to slow, uh, mm. that's, that's when you start to get a bit more concerned. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Other news this week, uh, Cooper's fund closed. Is that what you said? You got in the notes here? Yeah, so we've been pretty positive about Asia for quite a while. Yep. Um, and I, I don't think you ever interviewed Chow Ma no. from Cooper. No. Uh, they, they're an Asian equity strategy, uh, provides solid exposure to consumer tech, health, healthcare in Asia. I think she's departing and they've shut down the fund rather than. Um, Try to replace her too quickly, so returning, and it's a good good example of what happens when a fund shuts. There's always this concern that there's no transparency or liquidity in managed funds, but essentially, because the fund just owns stocks, those stocks will be sold, and you get the money back that you that they're, they're worth at the time in the next three weeks. What? How big was the fund? Do you know? I think it's a three or four hundred million. It's still pretty meaningful. Yeah, you think they would have not like small. A, a, an analyst that could step up and become PM. like if they were very commercial, they could be like. Yeah, we're going to have Billy Bob come in and become PM and look how great he is. I think China's still, and Asia is still on the nose a bit. Uh, we're, I mean, we're positive on, on where that growth over the next decade is coming from there. I think a lot of people are positive, but actually getting people to invest is incredibly difficult. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, 
Okay, so you are not, just to uh, kind of nip this in the bud, you are not worried about interest rates. I am for my personal mortgage, yes. Okay. <laughs> but generally- uh, Like I you're mean, still very resolute in your- Rates coming down. Well, you can't increase interest rates from zero to 3.35% with something breaking. You're going to see a rollover in economic growth. You're going to see a rollover in unemployment. And we, we know from 15 years of watching the last central bank and government cycles, unemployment is unpalatable from a political perspective. As soon as there's any sort of unemployment, interest rates will drop incredibly quickly. And you think that could happen in 12 months? Yes, within, within <laughs> well, 10 months to go. So, interesting. Okay, Drew's uh, prediction well, is- They've slowed from 75 basis point hikes to 25. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but it's kind of just like when it reaches the top of the hill, it'll just like fall down the other side, I guess. If, well, this hasn't been done before in history. Maybe the 70s was similar to how quickly they increase interest rates. Mm. I don't know. They actually don't know what's going to happen. Okay. Is the- Go long bonds still think is that thing still playing out or yeah yeah definitely okay because you're doing a lot of work on the ETF models for clients right yes working through that at the moment trying to make uh, something a bit more streamlined that's easily investable um, and there's so many ETFs available now that you can build a pretty well diversified asset allocation driven portfolio solely in listed listed investments yeah um, actually Kev from Atchison sent me something the other day which was really neat. Um, I don't actually have the slide here. I'll try and find it. But uh, he was basically showing like the forward look for um, forward look for income versus cap growth. Have you seen yeah. that? Uh, and I'll bring it up. But it was like one of those things where bring him on next week, aren't we? Uh, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. If we can, if we can get him uh, into the frying pan, uh, <laughs> we can cook him up a bit. He fits uh, the demographic. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I've got it here. But basically, like. The it's really interesting where the forward expectations are for Aussie property. Yeah. In terms of growth, it's basically nothing. Yeah. For direct property, which is quite interesting over a ten year outlook. If you assume interest rates, it all depends on your assumption for interest rates. Well, yeah, that's true. So, um, what has Kip sent me? So, the one thing that was really interesting um, is that I can't preview it. Here we go on interest rates and the impact of that in particular is that Aussie equities, according to this were uh, interestingly just below Aussie small cap. And there's a question that's come through about this. Do you need Aussie small cap in your portfolio? Uh, and I'll answer that now. And the reason I'm looking at this chart and it shows that the forward capital return outlook for Aussie small cap is higher than it is for you know mid, mid and large cap. And the sim- single single reason for that is they've been absolutely smashed. smashed. I don't even need to look at the chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can see it right there. So like, and then Aussie properties, this one right here, Drew, it's right next to like basically like the expectation is for just yield from Aussie yeah. property. No growth. Well, no, and no you've growth. got so much of it's been driven by growth and yield compression and interest rates falling for the last 10 or 15 years. So, yeah. But naturally, if you're investing over a 15 year period, it'll end up being about even. But that period was growth. This period's income. Well, yeah, I don't want to say you told us so, but credit to you, you did say that. So, what did I say this time? <laughs> you did say that the next decade, you got it. <laughs> you did say that the next decade after a vicious capital growth cycle is income. Definitely. Um, and here we are. We're in the midst. Maybe he's right on his prediction. About <laughs> Some <interest> of it. <laughs> um, but as I wrote yeah. the article about it. I think I might have mentioned it last week. Yeah, yeah, as well. Is this income everywhere? Has it been better time to invest for income? No. Yeah. Doesn't mean it can't get better. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. You can get better before it gets worse. Uh, so, yeah, cool. Well, let's get into some questions then, mate, if you're cool with that. Um, so, GRU. GRU. Grew from Despicable Me. I think that's grew, a reference. Grew from Despicable Me says it's the actual Despicable Me. Um, thoughts on Royal, R O Y L, ETF for royalties. Now, this is the beta shares one. Thoughts. Do you know much about royalties? I have an idea. You know, there's always an article that pops up. Eric Clapton sold his music royalties. Ed Sheeran sold his royalties for $300 million to so-and-so. Yep. That, that sort of thing. So, as I understand, this buys and sells. has only been around for about six months or so. Yep. Um, Universal Music Group. So, it's, it's, I think what you're looking at is a yield play here, right? Yeah. That you're buying a pool of assets and every time someone listens to them, if it's music or if it's a mine, is it – Texas Pacific Land Corp or someone pulls gas out, um, you're getting paid for it. Yep. Um, so I was trying to think about this more broadly. So they said the index is up 15.4% over three years. That's the index, yep. not the fund, just to be clear. Um, I was thinking about this more broadly and like thinking like, what are you trying to achieve? Exactly. And if you're trying to achieve like a focus on businesses that have like annuity like revenue streams, this is definitely not the only way to do that. Yeah, there are many different ways you can do that. So you could just buy banks. To be honest, they yeah. basically are annuities because if they yeah. fail, and they take a margin. They're yeah. government guaranteed. Yeah, so that's one way to do it, and you get like capital protection. You might not get the raw upside, um, but the other thing you get is um, if you if you if you think about what a royalty is, you're basically looking for annuity stream to meaning consistent income. You're looking for the quality factor. Yeah, basically, you're looking for high quality. And there are many ways to do that. You could buy direct stocks. You could use a quality-focused ETF, like a diversified one. This is quite specific in its focus. Um, like you said, there's some names in here you probably wouldn't see in, say, at least not in the, the size of the holdings. You wouldn't see in, say, like the Qual ETF from Vanek yep. or the SP 500, et cetera, et cetera. I personally, for 70, nearly 70 basis points or 0.69%, I'm... Like I don't need it in my portfolio right now, to be honest. I think it's a tough one because it's it's going to be yield driven as well, right? If you uh, if interest rates are flat or mo- if they're moving in one direction or another, these annuities are worth more or less. Mm. And how, where does the growth come from? I think it's thirty four percent oil and gas royalties. Yeah, is that price driven or is that solely volume? Yeah, probably a combination in there. And it's I don't you're not never going to see a great period of performance or a great period of underperformance. I wouldn't think so. It's just going to muddle along at an annuity level where you're probably better off buying a bond or a bank mm. because it's so diversified across multiple mm. sectors of the economy. Yeah, I I just think when, when I invest in thematic ETFs like this one, I want it to be for a specific purpose. Like I want to know what that purpose is. Yeah. I want like the, if it's the sector focused thing, I want to know what it is. For me, the Royal ETF, you know, I can see why people, why it has appeal, why it makes sense from a marketing perspective. But it's probably not necessarily at the top of my uh, list. And there was another question that came through from, um, which one was it? Uh, it wasn't Zipliner because that one's a different one. Uh, where was the question about thematic, thematic ETFs? ETFs? Yeah. Caught in my zipper. <laughs> Caught in my zipper. Okay. What's Do we have an early winner? I think we have an early winner. <laughs> Caught in my zipper says, do thematic ETFs have a place in your core portfolio over a long-term time horizon? I would say... Well, depends, yes. 
It depends. It depends. We've got to depends. change the thought bubble this time. It depends. Okay, so the first thing that you, <laughs> you did see, <laughs> you did see yeah, the other course, I don't miss it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I would say like I think Fang, the Fang ETF, which is the top ten plus uh, ETFs. Yeah. Uh, so stocks, tech stocks from the Nasdaq basically, and some Chinese stocks in there. Um, I think we've kind of maybe had slight disagreements, or not disagreements, but just like kind of distinctive uses for this particular ETF because it is kind of very concentrated. I tend to see it as more of a, like, it's not it kind of is a thematic, but I see it as a satellite position because it is so concentrated. You're going for growth. You're going for wide profit margins on those tech stocks. Yeah. Whereas you've used, I think, in the past as a core holding. Is that right? To, as a, to yeah, build yeah. a little bit of a tilt in the core. And they're high quality companies, like almost a quality factor because all those companies are in everything from quality to low fold. Microsoft, to you mentioned earlier on, yeah. Um, yeah, we've we've used different things as a as a core. I mean, we you're still talking about a core within a core satellite. So yeah. these would obviously be satellite within that core portfolio. That yes. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm picking up what there. <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs> you know in, a, I mean. in a total model portfolio, yeah. The yes, there is a role for uh, for some thematics. I'd say. I think the biggest issue you have is understanding what role and for how long and and you know what environments for each one because they're. Without, you know, we've got the benefit of Atchison's and a lot of tools that we have inside our business that we can understand how it blends. So how does ACDC blend with IVV? What what exposures are you adding to a portfolio? And we see all the time, you know, new portfolios come in and there's a lot of overlap. We've talked about this before, holding three or four mm. Australian equity ETFs. And then you need to know how they're talking to each other and what exposures you're getting as a result. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So... There are some, would you say broadly though, like thematic ETFs, do you, are you like more sensitive to them in the, in the sense of like, do you think mm, this is a three-year play versus say, if you just go to the A6200, you know it's going to be there for 20 years. Do you know what I mean? I think it's it's generally going to be more tactical and, and it may not be in your portfolio overall cycles. Yeah, okay. If yeah. that makes, yeah. Yeah, so you might take that more three to five-year view as opposed to a 10-year view. And I've, I've also used them as a way to de-risk Client portfolios through like what co- like correlation like, or if you think all right, I get a phone call. Pilbara is up forty percent or is up eight hundred percent, whatever uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, you're a retiree. You, Pilbara, by the way. Pilbara, yeah, Pil- Pilbara. <laughs> you're not obviously not <laughs> from W. We work uh, with a few WA people, so <laughs> yeah, I, br- I uh, bring that into Self Wealth Live every week. And people, Pilbara, let, people, let me know I'm Victorian. Yeah. <laughs> Pilbara, <laughs> um, but it's where it could be. What was it before that? You know, Lion Towns, uh, and there's often questions about lithium stocks in here. So if you've got a retiree's portfolio, they're set on having an exposure to something like lithium. Well, what's a good way, a, a lower risk, more diversified way to get them the exposure and feel like they're having an input in and still controlling where their money's going? Yeah, yeah. And and the thematic ETF is perfect for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, that said, there is some rubbish. So don't be picking up don't the rubbish. Disagree. Don't disagree. That's double negative. <laughs> okay. We're good at those. And, and puns and dad jokes. Puns, yeah. Yeah, yeah dad jokes are cracking. You got me on that. It's a, it's a, I'm addicted now. Uh, so who is your f- ETF daddy, says... I'm <laughs> Speaking of, I'm having a lot of difficulties trying to find a financial advisor to help me with retirement. Don't know one, sorry. Um, they all seem to give the same answer that they will analyze my needs and produce a multi-page document detailing their advice, which is correct because they will have to do that. 
The fees are also, they also seem to be very similar, about $3,000 for document, um, which is probably on the lower end, I'd say, for a full retirement document, to be honest, SOA. Uh, how do I go about choosing an advisor? Jeez, this is a good question. Wait, I, get, I get this all the time, all the bloody time. So do I. Well, you're an advisor. <laughs> So they shouldn't be asking you how to choose an advisor because you'd be like, well, you're going to be good looking, you have to have a beard, you should look like me. It's a podcast, now I can see how we look. Um, but yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot and it, the really, it's a pretty blunt thing. It's like, here, go to the Money Smart website, go to the IFAA or PFO, go to the like FPA and test drive. And exactly. that's basically your answer. Google. Yeah. Get ChatGPT to do it for you, maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, that <laughs> would be one part. Should I use a but transition to retirement strategy? We had the same question on uh, the live event yeah, last year about yeah. the cost of advice. It's worth understanding <clears throat> the regulatory backdrop to yeah. why that is three grand for that advice. And most groups will probably be uh, flexible depending on what sort of advice you need. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, to provide anything personal, so me telling you to con- contribute to super or me telling you to buy stock versus an etf Pilbara, yep. yeah i have to i have to know you so i have to go pro- through a process of fact find make sure that the risk profile of those investments is appropriate to you and that takes time and essentially you're paying three thousand dollars as uh, essentially an advisor protecting their time they're providing all this advice and in, in intellectual property for free it's very difficult to you know employ people run a business and yeah 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 and that's that's the thing. So you want to make sure that they have expertise in your area. If you're in retirement and you're pro- or you're approaching retirement, the good news is that there are more advisors that focus. I would not focus on it, but want clients in that yeah. remit because you'll tend to have more money than when you're an accumulator, like when you're younger, which is arguably maybe when it's more important. But it's just hard because if you got hundred grand, you're not going to spend three grand, are you? So um, I say beware because a lot of advisors try to be everything to everyone. If you're an older person looking for retirement, then you don't want someone that first question is about insurance. You want them to be skilled in estate planning and superannuation. Uh, so it's making sure those are aligned. You, most of the time you either have to Google around to find that or have a few meetings. Uh, most don't charge a meeting for an interview or I've spoken to probably 100 people in the last three weeks yeah. on a 10-minute phone call. Well, there was a, a gentleman that came in here just before and yeah. had a meeting with you while I was sitting up here doing the podcasting. Um, he came in here and was chatting to you and like, that's great. Yeah. yeah. He might turn around and go, geez, that Drew guy was a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a wally, wasn't he? <laughs> so, but he might walk out of here and go, geez, he was impressive. Yeah. You know? And he said to me, he spoke to me, he said, seen a few financial advisors over his duration and- that's just what you got to do. Unfortunately, like that's no like. There used to be some channels that tried to rate advisors. Yep. Which I don't know if that really worked. To it's be such honest. a personal service. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty hard to do. So um, there's some great questions. Just in the interest of time, um, I might drop to this one, which is surely you can't be serious. Reminds me of a line from a movie. I don't know which one. Hi guys, I've been investing for about two years. I have about. 48k we're not going to give personal advice just so you know um but they did volunteer some information i'll rephrase it in a minute and i've got some etfs in a superhero account so the question is about superhero uh if you're new to the game superhero is a trading platform so is that hin based or non-custodial no, not it's cust- custodial custodial i believe so you don't have your own hin don't have your own hin yeah that's good gibberish and we will end Simi- the answer there <laughs> similar to uh, Vanguard does the same. What's the big place in the US? The big 
Robin Hood. Yeah. I don't know. They would have to be custodial. They don't have the hidden bag. But um, yeah, so just unpacking the gibberish. Uh, the question uh, is, in a sense, don't hear about superhero a lot. Uh, I'm looking for one of the safest platforms to use for the long term. And also, how do you transfer? So I'll just answer the question generally. How do you transfer shares from one broker to another? Basically, go to the broker that you're going to and ask them because they will tell you if they have an automatic process or if you have to do a certain thing. There's a broker-to-broker transfer form for HIN-sponsored yep. or held on a, as in held by a broker. Yeah, superhero. Um, there was a few things that happened in 2022, which you can Google if you want to for yourself. Uh, you can just Google superhero um, and Swift X. Yep. Uh, spelt S W Y F T X. Yep. F T X is on the end. Interesting. <laughs> F T X is on the end. You should change yours to risk. Risk. It's going to have a Y, no A's. Um, so basically, you probably don't hear about a lot of superhero on podcasts because it's, it's it, podcasts are a commercial game these days, right? You can get sponsorship revenue, so maybe they just don't sponsor podcasts. Um, not that that should really affect it. You know, um, we have a lot of listeners in our community. I think about 4% in our core community, about 4% of people who onboard with us use Superhero. Yep. So it's not like a small thing. It's a pretty big thing. I think um, they're, they're more along the trading high frequency, more, not high frequency, be. but more trade oriented people. They seem to be. But that said, they've made some moves recently to um, lower the cost for ETF investors, which a lot of them have, like CMC Markets did a similar thing. Yep. Uh, and, you know, there are a few of them have done that. Personally, we've got a big article on this. Personally, I just prefer brokers to have the HIN-based model. So, where you as an individual investor, you get the opportunity to have a direct line of sight to the ASX. So, if you buy shares in Commonwealth Bank, they're recorded against your number, your name, rather than the custodial. And model. that's because of what happened in crypto land? Yeah, just not just crypto, but it, I mean, the custodial model is... We've talked about this on the show before. Very well trodden overseas. It's the established model. But here in Australia, we have a superior model. So why not go with that? Yeah. And the reason why most people don't is because some of the new platforms offer f- free brokerage or cheaper costs. So people think, well, that's better. I'll go with that one. Something's for free. Yeah. You're the product. Yeah. Or there's something saying. else that's not happening. Yeah. So I would just go with one that is uh, HIN-based. That's just my personal take. Um there are a lot of questions that have come through with property, but in particular, um, there was a question that came from Daisy Dreams. Daisy, there you go. Um, so the question, and we, we, you may remember we brought up the idea, I think someone wrote in with the name Mortgage Prisoner. And if you, if you do remember, we do ask questions and we do ask you for questions. Please send them through on any of the Rask websites. There's also a link in the podcast player that you're listening to this. You can scroll down and just click the button there and it takes you through an automatic form. Just select the Australian Investors Podcast and Drew and I will try to get to it. Anyway, um, this question relates to that question, which was about like mortgage prisoners. A lot of people getting concerned about their mortgages and that type of thing. But there was one here that... They said, I agree with you that you say to put your money in an offset account over a savings account because the after-tax benefit and so on and so so forth. However, I also understand that the terms of some offset accounts allow the bank to recoup those funds against the mortgage in the the event of a default. Given there are mortgage prisoners now and people are really struggling to meet repayments, I wondered if this might be worth mentioning to check the terms of their offsets. I've never heard of someone losing their offset, but- Redraw, I've heard, like redraw oh, disappearing. Yeah. That happened one of the credit unions, ME maybe. 
Yeah, right. Okay. Back in 2020 where people had redraw available mm. and then they just went. No. But redraw is a, quite a different thing because it actually goes on you to the line. Ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you get the money back. So redraw facilities when you the bank allows you to pay ahead of time and then you can redraw it typically in $500 chunks from memory. Um, whereas an offset is a separate account or accounts where you can put money in and it automatically offsets against that mortgage. Yeah. Um, I think you always want to check your terms. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. But I also think maybe this would be more relevant in the US or somewhere else, like in Australia. And I think many people are going to- Default's very rare. Yeah. And you can go into negative equity. And if you've got money in your offset account, obviously it's unlikely to default because there's 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 money funds building up in there. But I feel like I've never been in that that position before, but being forward with your bank during difficulty like this, particularly following what happened during the pandemic, there is a lot more flexibility and a lot more ability to manage. I mean, the banks don't want defaults because it's going to impact on their profit. So they're more inclined to work with you. So worrying about the terms of an offset versus being proactive with your bank is probably more Mm. where I'd position, I I guess. Yeah. But they actually raise a different point, which I so I agree. Like you just got to be mindful. I mean, this is the thing. You probably wouldn't, as Drew said, you wouldn't have money in the offset if you were about to default. But- it's a worthwhile thing. Just always read the terms. Um, they did want to say something else, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I have an offset a- against my mortgage, but I also have my emergency fund with a completely different back- bank. Tax is always uh, is always only ever part of a commercial decision. Absolutely. Um, so this actually raises an interesting point: is that it is actually good to have bank accounts with multiple banks. I think from a kind of a, d- a position of just i guess security and what i mean by that is sometimes banks go down yeah like their their app their website goes down can't access cash have a second card yeah um you know i use two banks use ing and i've got uh, bank of melbourne um that could change and probably will change over time but that's who we use and we use nab for business banking so i have a very small bank account there um that's fine yeah yeah i, yeah, I think i broadly agree i just try to automate and keep things as simple as oh, possible yeah, absolutely no yeah. uh, i think i've got 14 accounts with <laughs> with um macquarie so <laughs> this is the guy that automates <laughs> <laughs> businesses and entities and so i probably should think about that yeah, yeah. yeah fair enough. i've always and as long as your office you know your emergency account isn't you know a huge amount and you you're paying heaps of interest that you shouldn't be i mean it's not going to make a significant impact so we're going to i'll get to i can we got time for one more question and then Scrooge McDuck, we're going to push your question through to next week because it's actually a really good one. This is going to be next week's on next week's show. I'm just going to put this in my notes. Um, you asked the question about like, is it likely that we'll see a potential competitor to the big four banks? So Scrooge, that's going forward a week. But the final question I thought maybe Drew, we could answer is the bludger. No space between the word either. That sounds like a, a, vi- a vi- violent thing. Um, so the bludger says, hi. I'm interested in geared ETFs and wondering if you can do a review on GGUS, GG, US, or the likes. My time horizon for investing is 30 years. We're not going to take that into account, unfortunately. We will keep it general. And I will say to Mr. Meredith, or as we fondly know him on the show, Andrew Derrimuth. Andrew Derrimuth. <laughs> Do you have geared ETFs in your portfolio or any geared funds for that matter? Never as part of a core. Uh, so we're more likely to use a gear, which we have for small, uh, for a small portion of clients at 
major turning points for markets. So we've used things like GGUS and GEAR and back in the day, Colonial First States, GEAR Australian Share Fund, uh, and essentially using it as a tactical exposure. So when market, when it feels like everything is, you know, capitalism is over, you know, March 2009, March 2020, for some reason it's in March. Um, that's when you Avoid buy it. March. Yeah. That's when you buy <laughs> you it. That's first. when you buy it. But you're not holding it for 30. You know, this is leverage on leverage. Yeah. It's reasonably high fee. Uh, and I think it's more more used by professionals. Well, we, the way you use it as tactical. Okay, tactical. I like that. I like that. So tactical I mean, slash satellite. You probably be you know have less volatility and more. Com- the, I think the challenge, the issue with this is, it, what was it down thirty percent in the last twelve months? Yeah. So well, how do you? Yeah. That's what I was looking at. How do you stop yourself from selling? Well, that's it. So yeah. the the GGAS fund at the time of recording and the data is to the thirty first of January, twenty twenty three. It's down 30.68% and that's over. So it adds leverage to the S&P 500, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. The S&P 500 is down just 8.67. So 8.67% total return versus the fund down 30.69%. Three times. But stock markets go up (laughs) over time. So, so uh, just le- leverage. I mean, you probably this is not personal advice, but if you've got, you know, if you're gearing and you have an offset account, you could be better off having an investment loan that you're borrowing at five and investing that into a normal portfolio that is geared rather than two and a half times geared on a on a well, stock market like this. Yeah, because I think that decision making framework, you're more likely to sell this down thirty percent than if your portfolio was down thirty, but it wasn't directly linked to your leverage. Yeah, so the current gearing multiple is 2.37. On the way up, looks good. Looks On the great. way down, it's very scary. And the issue I see is in the media, they don't, you know, when they're saying the top funds of 2022 or 2020, whenever it happens to be, the top ETFs, they'll put a geared one into that list because technically it was the top performing or the worst performing. But a geared ETF is a whole different kettle of fish to every other ETF. Yeah, and it's not the only one, this G. Thing. I mean, I'd probably... I've had Bear for a while. Yeah. But if you're going to do Bear, you, you do... When you do B-Boss, is that the other one? Yeah. You, you, you want to do you the would, one with the maximum amount of gain. also wouldn't buy Zip. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've all kind of been there, haven't we? Um, so, it sounds like the party's about to kick off here up in Sydney, which is wonderful for us. Um, but we do really encourage your questions. If you want to send them through, please send them through to any of the RASC websites. There's a big thing in the menu. It's quite confusing, actually. It says, ask a question. <laughs> um, and then just follow that and send it through to the Australian Investors Podcast. And me and the young Andrew Derrimuth here will get onto that. If you want to find out more about Andrew Derrimuth's uh, financial planning, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> investment philosophy is it depends. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also zip. Uh, so you can send the questions through or you can send, get in contact with uh, Jamie or Drew here at waddlepartners.com.au slash contact. There's also a link in your uh, podcast player and you can get in contact with me on Twitter at Owen Rask. You can join our Rask Core community for $9.99 a month on the website. So that's about it. Drew, Andrew, thanks for joining me. Good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods. 
strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.